When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back to Talking Knicks, baby. The Knicks have another undefeated week because they're not allowed to play basketball because of the corona virus. We're circling up with the gang. Uh, we got Tommy Piccolo, Ken Poon, Big Baby David Mendelson, and we actually have action in Knicks world. We got a couple front office signings. We'll talk about them a little bit. I don't like either of their names, but I'm not going to judge them on that. Um, RJ Barrett got interviewed, and we'll talk a little last dance because that was honestly the news from the NBA. But, boys, let's do it. Let's talk Knicks. Welcome back. To talking Knicks, everybody. How y'all doing today? Y'all smell good. I'm Jake Stromboli. No, Jake. Yes, Jake Storielli. How are you guys? I'm a little fried. Big couple days leading up to Memorial Day. Uh, gonna see some of the girlfriend's family over Memorial Day weekend. Get out of the city for the first time. So that'll hopefully be delightful. Um, and oh, there she is right now. I'll, uh, how, how are you guys doing? Let's, uh, let's go around the square. Tommy P Tommy pickles. Hey guys, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, I'm, I'm a little curious, Jake, how are you getting to, I, I assume you're going, you're going out of state. Is that you're going to one of the Carolinas? Is that right? Fantastic question, Tom. Yes. My mother is picking us up and we're going to Jess's family's house outside of Charlotte. Um, so yeah, we uh we got a we got a doozy of a road trip on our hands, um, and yeah, we're we're bringing families together. It's uh, yeah, uh, drinks drinks will flow. Um, I think we're I think we're gonna try to social distance. Um, you're uh, going, I don't know. You're driving to North Carolina, and then you're gonna social distance from there. That's the plan, man. I I don't make the rules. I'm I'm just trying to keep everyone happy. Maybe we're play. not. I I don't even know at this point. The country's turning on its head. It's, I don't uh, think anyone's in any position to judge either. Like I don't know. It, it's getting it's getting tricky out there. I'm not gonna I'm not trying to get canceled. But I did see my little brother and his girlfriend this past weekend. We they just got a new puppy like five mm. days ago. So we introduced that puppy to my own Ooh. and uh, we went for a hike uh went to like a little dog park and all that and it was nice and you know you try to do this the distance thing but like ultimately it, it's if someone has it they're gonna give it you know it's it's like at this point i think a lot of people expect that they're healthy for the most part right like a lot of people have been quarantining for long enough that they feel confident but uh i don't know you give your brother a kiss on the lips and you know you wonder it's funny that we started doing that during the pandemic. But, um, yeah, <laughs> it's a new development. <laughs> Never and happened. This upcoming weekend, I'm going to see my my other brother, Dave, and his wife, Tara, and we're going to go.
go for another hike. It's like all there is to do is just to hike. So we're just gonna keep yeah. on hiking and we're gonna yeah. hike our way through this. But yeah, yeah bottom line is we're, we're doing well over here. No, no complaints. That's really interesting because I'm roughly a mile and a half away from uh, your brother and no wow. one, no one told me. So um, whatever, I guess. You're all They're coming there. to us, so. Sounds sounds like well, that's doing well. That's also interesting because we're moving into the beach house in Stratford this weekend, so we're ten minutes away. But you know, we don't even—I don't even want to be friends with any of you except Big Baby David. It's a big move. move. That's exciting. Yeah. So Hamden, Sleeping Giant, but I don't want—I don't want the listeners to all go there because the thing is, if it gets too crowded, then they start making a whole thing. So um, we're gonna go Sunday. Saturday, but uh, only two of you can go. Also, not all yeah. of you. Take turns, take turns on the hike. Yeah, we're in a scary May. Um, smart people in the world are starting to fight. People have been locked up for two and a half months. Uh, it'll be, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. There'll be a lot of drinks for me. Uh, Ken, are you are you generally well? You got a nice mustache. Yeah, it's my mustache. Um. I uh, went a very long time without shaving, and then it got a little bit uncomfortable. So I uh, shaved it down, but I, cu- I couldn't bring myself to shave the mustache. I just, you know, it's a part of me now for the, looks for good, the foreseeable man. future. Thank you. Thank you. It's a lot thicker can, than it's ever been, if I'm being honest with you. You can, you can pull that off. Uh, a gentleman I've only seen with facial hair through John Boy playing with the face editor app, Big Baby David. How are you? I'm well. Uh, I can't help but notice that you haven't commented on me going 10 days without shaving my face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's that's where I'm at. The comment section on uh, John Boy Jake Radio every Tuesday through Thursday at 10 a.m. They, uh, they mentioned at- that I might as well uh, just see what happens. So I'll do like a, a three-week thing and uh, get mad and then shave it. Okay. All right. Spirits are high. Um, and le- I, I want to send a quick back around the horn because we did this before. BBD, what, what did you compare your basketball game to earlier in our group chat? Um, I've been trying to, for a long time, I've been toying with what my basketball game would be like. And the way I, I settled on today was uh, it's like J.R. Smith trying to be Draymond Green. And I'm, I'm sticking with it. Yeah. Okay, Kenny. Uh, I, I, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I always try to. I compare myself to Danny Green. I'm a Danny Green guy. I'm a three and D guy through and through. You know. Tom. Um, I guess like my my game is all mid range on offense and all effort on defense. So he's gonna go um, Jordan, isn't he? No, who do you MJ. like up there? He's going to say Jordan. <laughs> I was not going to compare myself. I can't, I can't get to the rim. I can't, I can't even come close to finishing at the basket. So, no, no, no Michael Jordan for me. Like, maybe Fade Wizards. Away, Jordan. Maybe, maybe Wizards Michael Jordan. Ooh, even, okay. Even I that, like that, even that's actually. Little, that, that's actually generous, too. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, any, like, like a Chris Middleton, DeMar DeRozan who plays defense. I yeah, know. and I, I – uh, you, you've always had that mid-range, and I came in – um, I'm just going to change my, normally I, I do some tricksy little Tony Parker things, 
but obviously shorter and fatter and not as good. Um, I think I'm just going to go where, where was Boris Dio that one year he was just like unbelievably fat. Was that Charlotte? Was he? Yeah, a, he was a Bobcat. Yep. He was on that worst yeah, team ever. I think he was just like terribly out of shape. Like everyone was kind of like, how could you do this? <laughs> um, and I think that's kind of where I'm at. So that was good. I think that was a good, a little round the horn, how everyone's doing. I think, I think everyone has a, a drink that they're, they're using to get through this and that's Nick's basketball, babe. Um, no, no big update from the NBA yet. We're kind of doing as we opened up the episode, um, kind of the Corona dance. I think half of the practice facilities are open, half aren't, um, including the Knicks. It'll be interesting to see what happens next with that. It sounds like New York and Cali and Texas are opening for pro sports. So take that for what you will be interesting to see if the NBA does any regular season stuff. I don't think they will. Seems like you're just adding double the risk if you bring those teams back for no reason. But, um, Man, the, we, we get some actual new rules. Oh, my God. I just lost the English language. Rules? News from Nixland, <laughs> fellas. Know what it is? These names have me so out of sync. I, I do enjoy being a professional at times, uh, despite, despite my whole shtick. That doesn't sound like but, you at all. But when the Knicks bring in Walt Perrin and Frank Zanin, I don't know. I mean, I, I've never heard two names end like that back to back. Um, but these are the gentlemen we brought in. Um, I mean, where Perrin comes over from the jazz and apparently he's got some, some pretty cool connections. Uh, Donovan Mitchell of, of recent success. Again, the guy the Knicks passed on uh, and Frank Zanin. I mean, Kobe stuff's kind of cool. And I, I don't know, I guess the overarching thing, and and I don't know what you guys have deep dive on on these gentlemen, but the Knicks are bringing in people, which uh, is good. And I think they're coming from two of the better run organizations from the past few years in the Jazz and the Thunder. So uh, that's what we're going to rally around and get excited about. Sure. Um, if I'm going to jump in, I'm just going to bring up uh, Big Baby David had a tweet that got me pretty good uh where basically he said he's never heard of either of these two people and that's exciting because it's such and it's true because it's not a Knicks move they usually try to make a big splash and get big name people and then they're just terrible so it's um I would like to think that these people are the opposite of that and they they're we don't know who they are but they're actually good at their jobs because obviously I'm not I'm not too deep in on the assistant coach scouting train to to know that much about these guys but um, I do agree that the fact that you know it's not a flashy signing is a step forward for the Knicks organization yeah and it was my tweet that Kenny referenced so I also agree with that uh, I did do a little a little diving into Perrin last night but uh well we'll get around to specific guys I'll I'll get into some nuggets I dug up there but, uh, yeah, I'm just excited that it seems like they're getting guys who have, like, sort of specific sets of skills. Uh, Alan Hahn summed it up well in a tweet. He said uh, they're bringing in an experienced draft manager in Perrin, uh, a guy's good with, you know, personnel, pro personnel direction. 
uh, with Zanin and and they brought an Aller a few weeks ago, Brock Aller from Cleveland, and he's supposed to be the salary cap expert. And uh, Cleveland, we we made the jokes about their salary cap stuff, but mm. in general, they seem to be hiring guys who are experts at specific tasks. And uh, and hey, if you, if you've not heard of them, that's different than anything the Knicks have done because even in the front office, they've always tried to be splashy and have a name to attach everything to. Yeah, I think it is kind of difficult to to see these names and to really – we can read all the articles that everyone else is reading, but we don't have any, like, personal knowledge that, like, differentiates no. us from anyone else. Like, we – you know, we, we read the things about Perrin. I see Mike Vorkanoff from The Athletic says that, uh, that Walt Perrin was instrumental in drafting Donovan Mitchell and Darren Williams, and he's lauded for his connections. I mean, this, this stuff all sounds great on paper, and, uh, you know, I think that they – it's kind of funny, but I feel like they have my trust until they lose it, which is a huge step up where a lot of times, like I'm skeptical about Nick's hirings until they prove me other, until they prove otherwise. Um, but I think at, at this stage, like these, these signings all look good on paper and, and they all have like fairly reputable backgrounds and the teams they've played for are, uh, are successful ones. So, you know, it's a step in the right direction, I think. Yeah, I mean these these signings are nothing to squeak at. I I think that's what what you're trying to get at. <laughs> that is my dog with a squeaky toy. <laughs> I am going to remove that from the field of play. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, Kenny, I love I love you citing BBD. Um, I, I think we need more of that here. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I I think the expert thing is interesting. You know that that seems like a good way to run an organization. And uh, yeah, we got the cap guy. Uh, we got the college scouting guy. We got the personnel guy. Uh, you know, let, let's see it all come together. And Hey, is, you know, it's, it's, I mean, Leon Rose is like the guy pulling the trigger on all this stuff. Right. Um, which again, he was, he's supposed to be this NBA behind the scene master. So hope, hopefully, you know, the, the Knicks are either assembling kind of this, <laughs> a young dream team front office, hashtag last dance. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, Again, it's got to be exciting to see. And man, uh, do we think there's an immediate impact for next year? Like what, what does this change? Because I mean, long-term, you know, it's the same hopes any team has, right? We're, we're hoping that these guys put something together where, you know, cap players and the the Knicks are a well-run organization that can contend every year we haven't felt that feeling in a in a while what do we think changes for next season well I think Uh, one I was I think that one concern that a lot of Knicks fans had with uh the Knicks bringing back Scott Perry was that he'd have some some incentives to to do things that were not you know, in the best interest of the Knicks long-term, right? He's on a one-year deal. He's going to want to, to make some moves that, that make the Knicks better this, this upcoming season, um, even if that is uh, at the detriment of, of future ones and then giving up assets and things of that nature. But um, I think that all these signings kind of make it seem like maybe he doesn't have as much power as maybe we originally thought. Like – it's it's just a curious question. Like, how, do you think that Scott Perry really has the he's the head guy here? He's the GM, um, but does it really feel that way? Like, is does he actually have a lot of decision making power? Is the question I think going into the season. 
and I've kind of wondered that about Scott Perry generally, like even in the past season with um, with Mills above him. Um, so like I, I I don't know if I'm in in the minority here, but I'm willing to give Scott Perry just a little bit of leniency on everything that happened under Mills because Mills has been a re- recurring theme throughout the last however many years that he was doing his job that he was doing a terrible job and. I remember vaguely some article at the beginning that saying that, you know, Scott Perry would kind of be handcuffed by having Mills over him, you know, actually running things. So um, I'm willing to let him or give him some slack and give him the benefit of the doubt on that and see what happens moving forward. But, you know, in terms of moving forward, the Knicks are actually in a, I mean, not a great situation because the the free agent class isn't that, um, you know, talented this summer but they do have a lot of options in terms of you know they can bring some players back they can cut bait on some players and then have a lot of you know cap room to go after players if there if there's people on the market I mean I think we're still not thinking that this is going to be a you know necessarily a playoff team that would be a stretch but uh, I think there is room to you know pick up some talent and maybe you know kick tires on some players and then try to go for it you know season after next and that's what you're hoping here is that they, the guys who are coming in do a good job with – they have, they have uh, two first-round draft picks in this upcoming draft, and they could potentially have a lot of uh, salary cap. So, you know, you're hoping that they do something with that and, you know, just show you something. Yeah, there's obviously not really the big free agent out there to go get uh, and turn the team into a real contender. But there's plenty of, of moves that could be made that I just don't even – haven't even considered yet that make them competitive and put them in a position to like try to win games next year, even if that doesn't ultimately mean trying to make the playoffs. Um, just like trying to actually put together wins would be somewhat welcome, I think. Uh, I guess on paper, that's what they're doing this year. There is like a couple of the big trades you think they might try to make. Leon Rose has connections to. Uh, both Chris Paul and Donovan Mitchell, I believe, and then the the Perrin uh, signing. He has he obviously has connections to Mitchell with the having drafted him or being instrumental in the Jazz drafting him. So there's a little bit of I don't want to call it hesitancy or being worried about them going for like a big trade like that, but like that's on the table. Um, you just hope they're not trying to go championship or bust, but I, I don't think that's where they're going. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm still in in my head, and hey, again, maybe I've been beaten down by Nick's life, but uh, uh, Scott Perry kind of feels like a sitting duck for next season. Um, kind of feels like they're getting the pieces around him, and Leon Rose is starting to build his team, but it, it's tough to imagine the Knicks being anything next year that would let him keep his job, unless kind of what David was hinting towards one of, you know, a big trade manifest. You know, I think there was an Oladipo rumor this week. Um, and I know BBD mentioned some names. I've been screaming Bradley Beal for a while, but I, I don't think he's really available. You know, everyone's been rooting for the the trailblazers to blow it up for years. Uh, you wonder if that could finally happen. But, I, I mean, unless something unseen happens, it, it feels like Perry's a sitting duck, No. Yeah, it does seem that way to me. I mean, I don't know what – I think we, we mentioned it last podcast, but, like, what does he actually have to do to, to keep his job and to, like, earn himself a long-term deal? I'd be interested to know, like, what he's 
discussed with Leon Rose because, you know, I think it's, it's no secret. The Knicks are not going to be good next season. And so it's like, what's the expectation? Is it just strictly development? Um, do we need to start seeing, we just, we don't even know how involved Perry was in, in making draft picks like Knox. Like if Kevin Knox does end up being like a real bust, is that, does that fall on Perry's shoulders? I, I have no idea, but it's just hard to imagine what it would take for, for him to, to secure himself a long-term deal coming out of this next season. Yeah. I feel like there's no way there's nothing he can do this year to help himself really, but also he can't really hurt himself. He's kind of just stuck. And I would say he could still stick around long-term if they hadn't already said like the one year thing. So it's either just like him being a holdover to help with the transition, even though Knicks have been bad with him. So why have him around to help? But I guess it's all, there's also a world where like, Hey, they bring in a player development guy for Frank and Knox next year and whoever else they draft and the other young guys. And if Frank and Knox are still bad next year or haven't gotten considerably better, uh, yeah, we can blame Perry for that one. Even though was he here for, he wasn't even here for the Frank pick, but the point stands, he can kind of be the scapegoat if those guys have like a third year of being bad or in Frank's case, a fourth year already. Jeez. Um, (laughs) And I love Frank, but, uh, but like not being a Kenny? stud starter. Because better not talk bad about Frank on this podcast, or I'm <laughs> quitting. Damn, Kenny, Kenny, so. Kenny opened up with saying he he wished he wished the season ended a game earlier because Frank had a good game. <laughs> DVD yeah. goes there. Went for twenty and ten, and then if that if you went into the off season with that, just imagine that is the last thing. Like yeah, we have I love hope. Frank. Frank figured it out. Just imagine is right. What, um, uh, BBD, you said you dove in a little bit, and I mean, the only, uh, the pieces of input I have, I kind of already said with the Donovan Mitchell connections. I, I know the other thing from Frank Sannon that was going around is that, you know, uh, Kobe endorsed him to become a, a general manager of the, the Nets one day, and it, it came out a little bit ago that they played against each other in high school. So, I mean, they go way back. Um, which is pretty cool, um, uh, everything considered. But I, I don't know what other uh, BBD tidbits you got for us. Yeah, with uh, with Walt Perrin, the things I found. Well, for, first of all, looking at other fan bases being the Jazz, their like uh, online presences, they're upset he's gone. So that feels like a good sign. Okay. Um, the main like tidbitty type thing is that uh, it seems like he does kind of a similar thing to like what the Patriots do with their drafting where they kind of interview like everybody they can. And uh, not if, even if it's not for like that draft, they like keep tabs on guys and make sure they've gotten to know them personally a bit in case they become available for cheap later on. Um, so like they did that with like picking Royce O'Neal late and uh, like picking up Joe Ingles after he was waived by the Clippers and he's, one of the top he's in the top half of the league as far as starting caliber small forwards um there's been a, there's just been a bunch of guys like that that they've been able to get to buy into being in utah in the first place which is a tough place to choose to be even though it has uh more going on there than it gets credit for but uh but not a lot of people seek it out so they, pizza, they, right? they find guys that work there the pizza's not great apparently mm. huh. 
We're, <laughs> we're going to talk about that in a little bit because uh, I know me, me and David, we mentioned on JJR this morning, had differing, differ, differenting views. Do I know the language? Differenting, yeah. Do I know the language? Because it appears not. <laughs> Zanon. 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 When's the when's the last time the Knicks got a Joe Ingles type off the scrap heap? What do you think Ron Baker was? <laughs> <laughs> the Knicks, uh, the Knicks went a few years picking up like random guys who turned out to be good. It was uh, Sean Williams, Chris Copeland, Steve Novak. Yeah. Like, okay. I mean, that, I mean that was that was still ten years yeah, ago, and not like good, had... good, but you know. Copeland was real good. Guys that are NBA caliber players. Langston Galloway. Yeah, they, all, then all of them got mm. contracts somewhere else and were terrible when they left. So, so Iman Shumper, They were like yeah. kind of NBA players and then not actually good, though. I mean, the, the one thing I've always kind of said is that the Knicks' problem historically hasn't been like lack of being able to identify talent. They've identified players at all levels of, of – like the draft, whether it's actually draft them or undrafted, but they don't keep them happy or they don't make them better. Um, and that tends to be the issue where they trade them too soon, whatever it is. Yeah. They don't put them in positions to be successful or to develop. Yeah. It's a tough market to develop players in because New York coast is wild, man. New York daily <laughs> news. Come on. But like the fan base isn't as impatient as they are sometimes you know, painted as. I, I think that a lot of fans are, are willing to, to sit through a rebuild if they feel like the right moves are being made. And as long as on the court, like the product just makes sense. Like what Fisdale was putting out there defied all logic. And I think that's why, that's where the impatience comes into play. It's, it's impatience with like basketball ignorance more so than impatience with just like development. No, and I, I agree that I think the, the Knicks fans are more patient than they get credit for, but I still think that the tabloids are absolutely ruthless. Like, they, mm. they create serious issues for players, like, trying to develop players. And, I mean, yes, is I, patience the word or is just misery? Because, like, uh, you guys have seen it. Uh, like, there, there could probably be a pretty good talking Knicks montage of me being like, you know what? I know I shouldn't get excited about this team, but hey, I, if Jarrett Jack figures it out, <laughs> you know, we can fight for that ninth seat. And now I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm looking at, you know, Perry with the GM job. Like, he's not going to be back. Like, he's not getting another contract. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I guess patience doesn't seem like the issue at this point like give me a three-year roadmap and i'll shake hands uh, even like 10, 10 years ago you could make the argument that knicks fans are impatient and want to go for it all the time i would say that was even overstated then but especially over the last decade seeing how teams have been able to do rebuilds around the league i think the knicks fans have really wanted to just like dive in and do a real rebuild and they sort of have they've done it more than they did the previous like 15 years but like they also still kind of haven't at all and I'm, i think part of that is they saw what happened when you try to like do an immediate rebuild when you bring in you you take shots on derrick rose and joakim noah and if greg were here he'd point out that joakim noah like hadn't played in like a year and a half and when he did play he was averaging like four points and 
four rebounds a game. And then they signed him to a $72 million contract. Like you can take those shots, but like if it doesn't work out, it's bad for a long time. So like you would rather develop some young players on cheap contracts and try to try to retain them rather than taking shots on, you know, people who other people don't want and, you know, see what happens. And I guess my only rebuttal to the like tabloid thing is just, you know, and this is coming from someone who is a major advocate for print journalism. Like do people really read newspapers anymore? Like who's out there reading? Do you know anyone who subscribes to the daily news or the New York post? Cause I don't <laughs> think I do. And like I mean, no one have, younger than us does. That's for sure. Yeah. But they have Twitter presence and social media presence and, you hear they still get, they still get talked to every day. Are they on TikTok? Probably. <laughs> Jake is. TikTok. Have, haven't seen it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Knicks, Knicks bring in some guys, uh, which is probably better than the old guys, and that was the, the latest rumor right before we hopped on uh, is that a couple of the other gentlemen in the front office weren't coming back, which would make sense. I think Craig Robinson was mentioned. Um, and yeah, you're bringing bodies in, you're probably sending guys out and I don't know, uh, tough for me to defend the guys that were in the building and I'm sorry, you're probably nice fellows. Um, I don't know any, anything else from Nick's land. Uh, RJ Barrett got interviewed. I saw it. Um, I don't know. He handled himself. Well, it was him and SVP. He was after the MJ doc and it was one of those weird moments where SVP was like, so you you know, you were born after this. <laughs> you were born after 1998, uh, which, again, is a little, little bizarre in my head. But um, I don't know. RJ actually handled it well while also adding a little spunk. He's like, yeah, you know, I mean, LeBron, LeBron's always been the number one guy for me, but this definitely makes you think. And it's like, okay, RJ, get him buzzing a little bit. Um and I don't know, they showed his stats on the screen. And again, we're, we're going to end up doing some player reviews, but I don't know. I guess I'm uh, – be happy about R.J. Barrett. That should, that should be the walk away for every Knicks fans whenever you're having a Knicks moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think that, yeah, there was a lot to be happy about. There was also, like, a lot of worrisome stuff. Uh, sure. I, I would like to see what his – free throw percentage was like in the second half of the season to see if maybe he was just so bad at the beginning of the season that, and that kind of like stuck in my mind. I'm not going to pull up the stats right now, but you know, if there was anything encouraging to glean from like his progression at the free throw line, because he's a guy who's super physical. He's very strong. Like one of the most memorable plays uh, from him all season was in one of the last games of the year against the Rockets. And he, he went off. And he just manhandled P.J. Tucker, like one of the strongest dudes in the league. He just kind of shoved him out of his way and got a bucket. It's like that's R.J. Barrett's game, and it's, it's super physical. It's not very pretty. But it's going to result in a lot of trips to the free throw line. So, like, that's got to become uh, just – he's got to become like an 80% free throw shooter for, for, it, for that to work, for that to be an efficient thing. His free throw numbers did improve each month of the season. Uh, the first month – uh, he he was shooting like forty seven percent, and dropped. Or not every month. The next month it dropped again. Uh, but then January <laughs> up to fifty two. Then oh sorry, I'm looking at the wrong 
the wrong graph. That's probably good but though, because some of those numbers we were saying were actually pretty scary. So I hope first, sorry, wrong. first month was like it was like fifty-two percent, then sixty-three, uh, then seventy-four, then the month he was basically hurt the whole time, uh, and then seventy-six over okay. the over the six games in March. That's, that's encouraging oh, nice. to hear, like that, and that's what that's exactly what I want to hear, right? So uh, that's going to be a, a huge part of his development, and also just like. I don't know, coming into the – even when he was getting drafted or scouted last this time last year, a lot of R.J. Barrett haters were saying he just didn't have any wiggle to his game. Like, he can't get around or beat his man off the dribble. Um, he just has to, like, use his strength to power through people. And I, I saw where they were coming from with that. He is crafty with his finishing, but just in terms of getting around guys and beating guys in the half court – there were some, some red flags there for sure. So he, he's super young. There's a lot, so much time and room for growth, but you want to see it. You want to see the growth. And I think, you know, that's the kind of stuff I'll be digging in on when we do like the RJ Barrett play season in review. But that's just kind of my initial take off of that. Nice. I forgot there's a nice mixtape of Mitch Rob getting buckets too. So things are pretty good in Knicks land. Yeah. Pulling up from three, Ken. We're, uh, Probably going to win the championship this year. Get out of here, Greg. Um, and not, let's, uh, not an option? I, I think uh, unless you guys have anything, Nick's, and maybe we can wrap up with it if you want. But let's, let's go to the last dance because it, it has been, I mean, the sports story across the country, and this is a NBA pod. Um, and, man, they, you know, episodes 9 and 10 – uh, we uh, we get the flu game slash pizza game. We get them winning the title. Um, I've also been resisting the whole time to make jokes because, you know, Phil Jackson comes out looking awesome through all this about like, wow, we got to get this guy in our organization. Um, we, uh, <laughs> we, we did, but we, we had the best coach ever playing sleepy president. Whatever. That's for another time. Um, Ken, I'll, I'll kick it back to you. Um, I don't know, last dance in full or last two episodes. I mean, obviously a great documentary. Um, but what what jumps out for you? I mean, I'm I'm gonna stick to the last two episodes, uh, just because I feel like there was a lot there and like there was a lot of wild stuff. Um, but I mean, I, I don't should I take there's two things that jump out to me the most. I don't know Do if it. I, I wanna take both of them. The first thing was the whole Steve Kerr story was absolutely yeah. wild. And, like, the fact that I found that out in a Michael, the Michael Jordan documentary is a little crazy, but, like, that whole thing was wild. And then the other thing, and I, I've, I mentioned this to you guys again today, was Rodman disappearing in the middle of the finals and going wrestling is such an absurd thing to happen. And, like, those two things are – were like the the two biggest things that jump out to me that like I didn't remember or I'd like ev everyone remembers the flu game or at least knows about the flu game like those two things I had no recollection of at all and like they're really really kind of crazy stuff to happen man I, I feel like everyone was buzzing the day after that Rodman story when he like left mid-season and went to Vegas and, and like the Bulls Vacation. players had to track him down or whatever yeah, I took a little mid-season vacation. I think that this wrestling story is even crazier. We're talking in between games of the finals. There's not a ton of time between those. Like, it, 
you need the rest. You need the preparation. Like it's the, it's like the culmination of the entire season. And he goes and does the most like high profile thing he possibly can. I mean, that, <laughs> not particularly safe either. It's insane what he was doing. And like in the pictures of him with Hulk Hogan and Carmen Electra, just like being, I mean, th- those are just the wildest images. I feel like that should have been even an even bigger story than, than it was coming out of it. That was, absolutely crazy and because in my head he always did that stuff after the season because i remembered him wrestling against carl malone yeah um i think we all do but that was like after the season happened right and just the, the mid-season thing the mid the mid finals thing yeah that didn't ring a bell to me at all <laughs> that was jaw-dropping yeah i i had no idea about the mid-finals trip um or or the mid-season trip but that's been discussed uh it, it's crazy especially because like i mean i guess during the finals you'd still get this but but back then they, they had like a mandatory practice that like he needed to be there for it wasn't just like the team working out or like just like getting a shoot around in and having a meeting like they like needed him to be at practice he didn't, he didn't like tell them he wasn't going to be there he just didn't show up to fucking practice in the middle of the nba finals <laughs> i love when he practice. like does come back like no one's even really mad at him it's it's jordan just going rodzilla rodzilla and everyone's like oh that dennis that that <laughs> cheeky little fella like, <laughs> i mean that's and and that's a um <laughs> i i think a guy who should be getting a lot more credit whose name i haven't seen in the media the past couple days how about vince mcmahon uh, cause he's probably the one that put that together. Right. Um, I, I mean, what people even would have the balls to ask an NBA player, even, even Rodman <laughs> to come to a wrestling event during the WWF season. And I feel like they were making fun. Like Hulk Hogan said something like making fun of him missing practice, like during that whole scenario. So like they knew what they were doing and it still happened. <laughs> I mean, so, so calculated. Um, and I, I think that's, and, and this is getting into like a heavy, a heavy takeaway from the whole thing. Cause I mean, the documentary is about what makes Michael special, but um, I mean, you mentioned like Rodman comes back, a dude who just missed an NBA finals practice and went missing and the guys kind of shrug and like, all right, here we go. Um, and, like, that goes back to the Rodman Vegas story, how they were going to slow down and do the Indian sprints, and Rodman just takes off on him. Because when he's there, you're getting all of it. Like, that's all he knows. Um, and just finding out how all the different people – and I guess that, that was the big thing that just surprised me with the documentary because I thought it was just going to be kind of the 97-98 season. But, I mean, it was a documentary on all these guys. I mean, the Steve Kerr story – is is unreal um i mean the the background we got on a lot of these guys um it it just comes together as this perfect perfect team i mean phil jackson the zen master i mean how many guys could even reel in scotty and i mean he reeled in if we go back a few episodes uh i think they bonded over a native american uh term or something like that i think we talked about that in here last time and you just start putting together these little things and you start thinking about other teams that are successful in sports. Like <laughs> if Rodman had missed a Belichick practice, like he's not playing, he's not on that team. 
So right. it's fun. It's when funny Robin, to think about how all that works together. When Robin was on Popovich's Spurs, like he was disciplined and actually had he was suspended for games during the playoffs for for conduct uh, detrimental to the team. So like that's like Popovich is the closest thing we have to to Belichick, yeah. and that's exactly what you're talking about. And by the way, um, I looking at the stats right now. Rodman's game four after 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 the whole wrestling thing was probably his best game of the series. I mean, he, he scored six points, which was his second most of the series. He scored seven in in, uh, in game six, but he had fourteen rebounds, uh, which was his most of most of the series. So like, he uh, he showed up apparently. God, I uh, that that team is so awesome, man. Um, I, I guess staying in the documentary or at least the last two episodes. Every time Scottie Pippen talks, I'd laugh out loud. Um, cause his voice is just that low and almost comical to me that like another, another person who is a human being has that voice. And I have this, um, <laughs> just, just absolutely blows me away. Um, and man, I mean, and, and that's the other thing that I feel like was one of the bigger takeaways because again, bulls, awesome documentary, really well done. But I feel like a lot of the sports people were saying, like, hey, Utah Jazz, Scottie Pippen is holding his back up and down the court. Michael Jordan looks like he's about to pass out on the court. And Jerry Sloan was just like, yeah, we didn't know either of them were banged up. And it was like, you're the only one, man. What, what is that? Do you think he's telling the truth there? Like, I don't know. What benefit does he – get from saying like yeah we knew they were banged up we just couldn't take advantage of it like i don't know (laughs) either either way like they lost i don't know what i expect jerry sloan to say um they yeah the pippen thing is is ridiculous though because he was visibly hobbling i don't really buy it that like i think anyone in the crowd could have seen him there was there were plays they showed replays of where like he, he tried to change direction and like head back down the court and it's like that's not how a human runs in any situation certainly not at the highest level of basketball. So I, I don't buy what Jerry Sloan was saying. I think it's just a ridiculous soundbite. That first play of the game, he dunks it, and then he just grabs his back. Like any <laughs> any father showing their son they can dunk on an eight-and-a-half-foot hoop, like that's the exact reaction they have. And that was the and, first play. And, I mean, in terms of, you know, defending Sloan, they uh, – the question was like whether they had taken into account that he was sick or anything or something like that. And like, if you're in that position and someone tells you like Michael Jordan's sick, like you're not going to be like, Oh, we should take it easy on Jordan. Like we're not going <laughs> to, we're going to, we're going to put the defense somewhere else. Cause like, that's just not going to happen. So I, I, in reality, I don't think it changed their game plan in the slightest. And you know, he ended up going off anyways. Yeah, the second he starts like scoring again, it's like, oh, well, never mind. Do the game plan we originally thought we were gonna do because he's he's still good, still that guy. Tom, you you mentioned uh, Sloan telling the truth, and I'll bounce back to David because um, David's not buying the pizza story. Correct. I I just I just don't believe it. I'm not I'm not saying that I like. And fully believing he was for sure hungover or whatever. Uh, although if you told me I had to pick a, a storyline that I believe it is that one more than the others, 
but I mean, the, the pizza thing is just ridiculous. I mean, I guess it, it could have had some meat on it, but they didn't say that, I don't think. <laughs> and, and and if not, since when does just cheese, sauce, and, and bread get anyone sick? They had five guys deliver it, and MJ's, what, two, three closest confidants, they said they have a bad feeling about it, and then they just <laughs> let him eat the whole thing. Now, I guess he... There's the argument that he was eating that whole thing no matter what, and no one was going to stop him. But still, the, they didn't like mention they had a bad feeling about it, and then let him eat, eat the whole thing. So, I mean, I had the question of what did they they call in a pizza under Michael Jordan's name? Because that seemed right. like a, a you bad had idea. the guys know. <laughs> yeah, and because also, I mean, if they did, there would be an explanation of why five guys showed up to deliver the pizza because it's going to Michael Jordan. It's like, oh. Like we should all check this out, but if they did, that's also stupid. So like I, I don't know. It, it the whole thing sounds the only ridiculous. The only uh, the only thing I can think of there is like I guess if they just knew they were delivering to what I assume they were saying at like the nicest Salt Lake City hotel at the time. It's like oh well, it's the nicest Salt Lake City hotel. It's probably the one the Bulls are staying at there in town. There's a chance it could be Jordan or Pippen ordering this. Let's go, let's go see. And it's still weird to have all five guys there, but it, it would it would take a lot of a lot of checks along the way before you get to the the answer they're trying to push on me. Tom, straighten these chumps out, man. Believe in something. So there's a couple things here. Um, I listened to a podcast with Steve Kerr. He was on the Low Post on Zach Lowe's podcast. And he said that, like, every time they stayed uh, for an away game at, at, in Utah, they'd stay at the same hotel downtown. But for this specific series, the team had a vote. And they, the team, like, didn't want to stay in that same hotel. They wanted to, like, be away from the action for some reason. Park City, right? I think it was Park City, yeah. Like, a little removed from downtown. It's like 40 minutes away or so. Right, it's I a see. hike. Whatever. Wow. Mm. You know you're stuck. Yeah. So bottom Get line is it, it, it's a hike. Um, and so Steve Kerr honestly thought that it could have been altitude sickness. That like they stayed at a much higher level than they usually do. And like, I don't know, would MJ be the only one suffering from it on the entire team? That seems a little hard to believe. But that was one of the things that Kerr floated by as a possibility. I mean, the other that we haven't talked about is like people actually do get food poisoning from eating bad pizza like even if it's not malicious granted maybe this is just extremely naive of me but like i've gotten sick from eating bad pizza before and it wasn't because i was like a famed basketball player and someone was trying to take me down it was because they did a bad job making pizza and i ate it anyway you know like the time more jordan comps out of tom more jordan comps out of tom i can't (laughs) plenty of people feel like garbage after eating pizza but i I, like i just i don't (laughs) mind being like full-blown food poisoning well our very own greg our co-host i don't know your experience he had food poisoning like yesterday and on sunday he missed uh a good portion of of last dance and had to watch it yesterday he missed the he missed the the pizza store are we saying it's because greg was hungover like i I don't know it's just maybe jordan snuck off to to vegas got hungover greg have to tell anyone did Did greg have altitude sickness i think that's the question food poisoning happens is all i'm saying 
Um, I, I don't know. Like, there are a lot of ridiculous parts to this story that, I mean, first of all, the notion that you'd eat a full pizza the night before a game doesn't seem like the healthiest option anyway. Like, that's just not the smartest thing you can do. But I will say later in the documentary, Jordan was, like, asked what he did in his day. And he said that he smoked a cigar and had a couple beers and played his piano in his hotel room. And, then, and I was like, is he joking? I can't tell. And then later they go back to his hotel room and there's a piano in there. And I'm like, that yeah, checks out. Party. Like, was he really drinking beers before a finals game? Like, is that a thing? Like, I don't know. I, I don't know how Jordan lived, to be honest. So I, well, I, I said I he, he smoked however many, like, cigars per day. Um, so, like, it checks out that he didn't, like, like, it, like, his whole career he did that, basically. So, like, it checks out that he didn't always take the closest care of his body and he is like an athlete so eating a whole pizza isn't in itself that strange i guess but so the night before a finals game you'd think be some restraint i uh, I, don't know. I mean i i think i'm am i a little bit of a dreamer sure um but i don't know i just think you can grab enough tidbits that actually make this work where Again, I, I think one of the episodes they show the crowd waiting in the hotel lobby uh, after they win. A after they win this, they show the crowd waiting in the lobby. And I was like, man, I think the camera's following MJ and the crowd just erupts. And I think Wennington's waiting by the elevator. And it's like, get out of here, Bill. But um, I, I think the emotion that I was feeling was for everyone that was there like that's a moment they'll never forget and they have no involvement so like this is the 90s in salt lake city slash park city utah not a ton going on we're before social media um i think they said it was like the only pizza place in town so late night a couple pizzas get delivered to the hotel that the bulls are staying at and man the other thing that i'll anchor behind those jazz fans are nasty, man. Um, I mean, they, uh, they have a reputation uh, for really taking things next level. And, I mean, isn't this the definition of? So, I, and I don't know. I, I guess the other thing is, like, if you say it's a hangover game, Kenny, I'm absolutely taking the Las Vegas theory because that's the most fun you can possibly have. Um, but... Uh, I, I don't know, like, say it was getting drunk or a hangover, like, I mean, why wouldn't they just say that? Or, like, why why would MJ get so belligerently drunk before game six of the NBA Finals when they lost the game before in his last season? Like, that makes less sense to me than getting a dirty pie. Also, like, did he really get just to get drunk by himself or just with his like very closest confidants? He wasn't out. I feel like if you saw Michael Jordan out and about the night before a finals game, you would tell everyone you knew you would tell all your friends like that would get out that information. There's just no chance that Michael Jordan's able to keep that a secret. There is no out in Salt Lake City. There's not an out in Salt Lake City. Now there wasn't well, even, an out in I'm Salt saying, Lake even City he, then. Even if he did make it to, to Vegas or wherever, like, someone's going to see him like, you know, they're going to be media there. Like the, the nineties TMZ, right. People are going to see that and record it because Michael Jordan is out with you at the club. Like, I don't know. I, I don't really buy the hangover thing. Cause even then the next night you aren't still going to be hungover. Like I don't care 
how drunk you yeah. get. Like you're not gonna be throwing up sick and like need a fluid by like eight by like, whatever six seven p.m. the next night. It's just that's not how it works. I'm gonna let you know that as someone who is mildly allergic to alcohol, I have had three day hangovers before, so I believe in Jordan. I believe I'd be surprised. If Jordan I guess Jordan also he was like a consistently heavy drinker so there's credence to i mean he wouldn't have been hung over that long he had pretty good tolerance to stuff um i just saw a tweet from uh from vernon maxwell did you guys see this one he said i always made it a point to never eat whenever i played in utah for that very reason michael (laughs) there was when you're okay there was uh that was a joke about the utah food actually being bad I don't know. Is that what the joke is? No, the is joke the is joke? He, he hates Utah fans. Got her, Jane. His pinned tweet is from three years ago. He says, I'd like to apologize to jazz fans that were offended by my tweets. If I knew you guys had internet in Utah, I never would have made those <laughs> tweets. Vernon Maxwell goes hard at the jazz fans. <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there was an important update to this story that came out at uh, 9.30 Tuesday morning. Uh, the former assistant manager at Utah Pizza Hut says that during the 98 finals, he was working. He made and delivered that pizza himself. It was thin crust pepperoni. He was a big Chicago Bulls fan, named his son after MJ, and had money on the Bulls. So maybe he got food poisoning, but it certainly wasn't spiked. What does spiked mean? What do you put in the pizza? <laughs> Have you ever seen Wedding Crashers? The eye drops? Yeah. Yeah. Even the sack was fine by the next night, I think. I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> they went, they no, went that's when they went bicycling. The yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, um, this is, uh, I, I want to do this and then maybe some final thoughts on the last dance. What was your guys' first hangover that you were like, oh, um because mine is very clearly uh halloween sophomore year of college um it's just jungle juice all night i woke up i stayed in bed all day and i was in such pain and i was like this is this is it this is the end so i didn't play basketball that day but that was the first day i was like oh 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 yeah, I don't know about my first one. I will go back to when I studied abroad in Rome. There was one night where we just, we all drank as much wine as we could. There yeah. was there was chugging of wine. There was irresponsible binge drinking of wine or vino, oh, as yes. they, they call it over there. Um, and I mean, that night, I, I just got so sick. Like the bathrooms, so I lived in a convent with nuns when I was over there and our bathrooms, they were even more hungover than you. Basically the showers were like in the middle of the room. So there was just a drain in the middle. There was a toilet and a drain and a shower. Like you could shower and be on the toilet at the same time. If you, (laughs) useful, if you had your druthers, like if you wanted to. And so my whole bathroom was just like covered in, in, in vomit. It was, it was a really unpleasant Mm. situation. And the next day um, I was still, like walking around outside among Romans, among people who live there, and just being that American kid just throwing up in the streets. And it was a oh. it was a terrible look for me. And um yeah, that was probably like the probably the worst hangover I've ever had in my life. And 
no basketball was going to be played that next day. So if, I don't know, if Michael Jordan was out chugging wine until all hours of the night, then I guess there is some, some possibility to the hangover story. Yeah, I, um, my story goes back to this past Thanksgiving. I, uh, I've not been a, uh, I I wasn't, I wasn't like ever that big a drinker. I never drank in high school. Um, I didn't even really, I never like even got actually drunk until like after I was 21, which wasn't my thing. Um, but like it was Thanksgiving Eve the night before and like, you know, you go out, you see all the people from high school. Um, and, uh, I knew my friends and I were going to go. So I was like, ah, I'll get like a head start drinking. Cause last year was the first year I was like over 21 and able to go to a bar in my town and see people. And it was like impossible to get served. I got like three drinks over like the five hours that night that we were out. And it was like, Oh, this just sucked. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to need to get a head start this year. So I had like, <laughs> I, I had essentially three glasses of vodka is what it became before Damn. I left my house. Ooh. It's like a 10 minute walk from my house to where like the bar is. Uh, basically this, I don't remember much from like the second I walked into the bar, but I know I had at least like five more drinks then. And I, I remember at one point being like given a shot and that was like very much the last thing I remember that like, it wasn't just like blurry the rest. Uh, apparently I was a social butterfly. So that was nice. I was giving out hugs and kisses left and right. A um, little embarrassed because uh, I don't know. I don't remember it, and I hope I didn't make anybody uncomfortable uh, in the year 2019 at the time. Um, but then I came home, and it's the only time I've ever, like, thrown up from alcohol. Uh, I was up until, like, f- like 3 a.m. Well, I was asleep briefly. Then I was up from, like, 1 to 3 or 4 a.m. It's like, throwing up and shitting in my bathroom. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and for Thanksgiving, my family, we... Like drive four hours. Yeah, like four. We drive like four hours to my grandparents' house in upstate New York. I'm like sitting in the back seat. A lot of winding (laughs) roads, actually. Um, (laughs) So I had to like sit through like a a four-hour car ride. We like stop for lunch on the way, so it's like a or for breakfast on the way. It's like a five-hour trip. I'm like sit, and I'm like, I was just so dead, and. it was, a, it was a long day. Uh, Cra- I, I, Cracker Barrel? Where'd weird. you go for breakfast? Um, I mean, the real answer is we go to the Roscoe Diner, um, mm. Roscoe, New York, and uh, Add. it's a nice. It's just a nice little spot. And it happens to be right off the highway, and it's like more or less the halfway point. So, uh, my mom always says that's where we stop, and uh, none of us get to say in that. Mm. That's such a good parent piece of leverage. Uh, a BBD. <laughs> fantastic i'll i'll send you a picture when i was about around that same age frame um i'm wearing a johns hopkins lacrosse shirt and i'm just crazy drunk in like three pictures and i showed someone my wiener that night um so (laughs) when you mention if things are 2019 when you mention if things are 2019 or not um i don't know we all live we learn uh no one no one was offended by it um (laughs) <laughs> we dealt with we dealt with that no um but uh yeah hey i'm glad you all shared those stories um i, I didn't share a story moving on oh uh, you live the story 
I love the central what? story. We were all oh, right. Yeah, all of us. God. Ken. Those were times. We were young. Yeah, that was a rough night. Full of love. Is that your flu game? No. That no. was one of mine. That was one of mine. Yeah. Tom, Tom had – I think we all had a rough night that night, but mine was uh, also sophomore year of college at, uh, at Villanova University. Uh, we went out, like, we pre-gamed, we went out, and then, like, I was fine. And then we went back to my uh, apartment with a bunch of my friends, and, like, a friend of a friend was there, and he was just, like, challenging me to drink a bunch of Captain Morgan with him. Mm. So I did at the end of the night, which was a terrible idea. And that's what resulted in me being hung over for like three days. The, so I think that was Friday night. And then Saturday night, we had people over to like hang out and like play drinking games and stuff. But I could not do anything. I hadn't like I couldn't eat all day. And by the time like that night came around, I ordered a breakfast sandwich from someplace. I ate yeah. it. And then like five minutes later, I threw it up. And I was like, oh, this sucks. I'm going to go to sleep. So I did. So a three-day hangover was not an exaggeration. You were like day three. What does that even? What's that hangover look like? Just a headache and I, like. Yeah, I mean, it's mad. probably probably how the end of your hangover feels if you have a hangover for like the entirety of Sunday. So I guess it was only two <laughs> days. It was Saturday and Sunday. Oof. So it was it's a lot of time. sleeping and stuff. But Jordan had the benefit of they gave him an IV, which I'm told actually. Right? actually helps with a hangover so there are businesses fine. that offer those services that like you can get an iv i know down in the south like when after people like tailgate big games there are services down there that allow you to to use an iv to to rehydrate and feel better yeah there was um before before meeting my lovely girlfriend um jennifer i i went on a date with a nurse and she told oh. me that that was a real thing that like after long nights out sometimes her and her friends would hook up IVs and be like set themselves up and it made you feel better in like 15 minutes which is amazing there there is a wellness place in Denver that Jess had like a monthly membership that was like you get an IV bag a month and you get I don't know another half hour away from your boyfriend a month so <laughs> she she enjoyed mm -hmm. that uh, <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good membership um boys okay. uh, we'll go around What's that? My last point on my story was I still can't drink Captain Morgan. I can't. That's a win. Smell it, can't net, drink it, can't do anything with it. Not missing a whole lot. Net, net, that's giant win. That was, <laughs> that was what, 10 years ago? Captain Morgan. 11 years ago? I got ago? A, the knockoff Captain Ordmal, or the Admiral Nelson. God. Yes. A kid, a kid at Central brought that into class one day. Everyone was like, dude, not cool. Um, like a lot of Talking Nick's episodes, ends up with drinking stories. No, I, I, I hope the listeners enjoyed that. Brought you a little closer. Uh, final takes on Nick's Last Dance, Tom Piccolo. So Jordan made a comment at the, at, I think it was the, the second to last episode, where he said definitively that the Pacers – were his biggest challengers in the East besides the Pistons. Once he started winning. Right, right. Yeah, once he started winning, it was the Pacers. Prior to that, it was the Pistons. And it just felt like complete erasure of the Knicks. I, I just – I know that the Knicks had taken the Bulls. Yeah, Kenny, I know you're trying to jump in here. What's up? Yeah, so I, I sent you guys a text message. I don't know if you saw it. But um, the Bulls played 
the Pacers once in the playoffs during during um, Jordan's time there, and that was the '98 series that they showed. They played the Knicks five <laughs> times in the playoffs, which was the most of any team, followed by Cleveland and Detroit. They played four times each. That's crazy. And so the, the Knicks did they, they lost all? Well, no, the Knicks well, yeah, lost, lost all five. But yeah, they, yeah. there was a. I think there was at least one game seven and and if i'm being honest with you guys i think they're they played 27 games i think the knicks were seven and 20 but the pacers lost the one series they played too so i don't yeah. know it just it, maybe it didn't feel he, like the right maybe he meant it as like just that series as a single toughest one or something that's probably I don't remember true. exactly how he phrased it the way he phrased it was probably wrong. It didn't sound like it when he when he said it. But. Yeah, and I could see that being the case. Like in '98, the the Bulls were at their weakest, and like they were all banged up and old at that point. So um, that makes sense. It's just I don't know. It felt like he wasn't giving the Knicks their their credit in that moment, and I think it's worth noting. Like the Knicks in, of the '90s were a difficult opponent, and they did take the Bulls to a game seven. They were like a few Charles Smith block shots away from, from, you know, really giving them a scare. And it's, uh, it's too bad. It never worked out in their favor. And it's really too bad that the Knicks weren't able to capitalize during the two years that Jordan was away. Um, granted they made it to the finals that one year. Very cool. But uh, yeah, the, the next year, not as much, but I don't know if that's my, my takeaway trying to weave in the Knicks as much as possible in general. Like I loved I loved it. Like I know that that it's some people are calling it like propaganda or, or a Nike commercial or marketing or whatever. I don't care. Like it's it's a great story. It's like a, a fascinating team full of so many compelling characters. And I, I watched it with my wife, who you know she didn't know any of this stuff really. So like she was all she was experiencing all for the first time, and and she was and she was fascinated by it too. So that was definitely fun for us and gave us something to look forward to every single week during this quarantine. It's like we are definitely going to miss that kind of communal experience, that like live viewing experience. It doesn't, it doesn't come along very often, right? There was like Game of Thrones when it was happening. It's live sporting events and it was the last dance. And that's sort of the end of the list in recent history. Mm. By the way, uh, one of my Oklahoma buddies brought this up the other day, but does anyone know any friends or any group of friends or anything like that who is re-watching or watching Game of Thrones for the first time? No. I'm like no. half trying to get my brother to do it, but no. It's to re-watch and it or watch it for the first time? Watch it. I, I, I just want you to think about how bizarre that is because a lot of people are watching a lot of shows and it's because the Game of Thrones finale was such shit that people aren't going to put in the time to watch it. Yeah. Um, so that's that's my quick message at the Game of Thrones. And I don't I don't agree with that philosophy, by the way. Like a lot of people said that about the show Lost when I first, I started it quite late. Like I was a couple years out of college at that point. And I gotta say, I I knew going in, everyone complained about the ending, everyone hated the ending. I loved that show. Like I granted the ending, whatever it was, bad, it was stupid. But the the prime seasons of Lost that go that matches up against any show i've ever seen like it was just beautifully made it was so cool and uh so i don't know if you've never seen game of thrones go watch game of thrones there are some it's, incredible it's so worth television. seeing um don't let the end like you know keep you from enjoying a lot of good tv that's what i'd say tom oh, no. I, well, I think i just needed of... someone i think i just needed someone to push me into watching game of thrones because i want to watch game of thrones so thank you yeah, I've been like kind of wanting to do the rewatch. I, I I haven't been able to bring myself to do it, 
people who haven't seen it, the first five seasons are so good that the last two, three, or whatever are, uh, it's worth going through those because it's much, there's so much more good stuff than there is the bad stuff at the end. For me, it was like part of the how good Game of Thrones was, was like everything mattered and everything came back and like they, they'd leave things open and then those things would come back. And then there was just so much stuff that they didn't cover that didn't come back yeah. and like didn't really tie into the rest of the story. And like they just ended it terribly. So like I really have no desire to rewatch it. Wait, Jake, about- have you, have, did you watch Game of Thrones, Jake? Oh, yeah. Okay, so you're trying to decide whether to rewatch it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was my favorite show until the end. Yeah, okay, that's um, what I thought. I was like, right, and okay. I just, I just think it's funny during this pandemic where people are rewatching shows and doing stuff like almost no Game of Thrones buzz um, because they blew, the, they flunked the dunk today. Um, Kenneth, Kenneth Andrew, final yep. thoughts. Uh, I think we, I think we covered it all. I, I tweeted out. I'm, I'm sure you guys all agree that the Knicks should give the 98 Bulls a chance to. <laughs> Go for the seventh. <laughs> Sign him up. Yeah, run it back. God. <laughs> Some Miles Miles Bridges tweeted at MJ because MJ was like, "I don't want to play anyone one on one." I did see that. Like, Miles, I don't know if you want that, bro. Look at <laughs> Michael Kidd it's Gilchrist. A no win situation. Michael Kidd Gr- Gilchrist played him one on one. I'm pretty sure and lost. And look what happened to his. I career. recall. Yeah. BBD, you're you're the resident younger guy. I know I was mentioning RJ Barrett watching a lot of it for the first time, but you're you're an NBA guy. I know I I know you're mm-hmm. familiar with MJ Stylings. What uh the name rings what a was bell. new? What, what was new or what what remains? Uh, I mean, a lot of it was like n- new to an extent. Uh, I mean, I was born in 1997, so this is the 90-98 season. Uh, I was one for those doing the math at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not even one by the time the finals was over. Uh, it, it was definitely more like great storytelling and good TV than it was like journalism because obviously everything had MJ given the thumbs up and uh, is told through his lens. Even even like Phil Jackson had a quote, and he's the guy who I think comes out looking better than anybody um, in this. He said like, "Yeah, it's definitely Michael's story." Um, is like the quote I saw circling somewhere. Um, as far as like it, LeBron stuff goes, um, I, mean, I don't think anybody's wrong for thinking either of them. I'm personally a LeBron guy, and this doesn't, this didn't like soften my stance there. It's just like more information, but uh, I, I people think that the documentary like ended the debate, and that's certainly not true, especially since like I don't know, LeBron's still playing, uh. That can and things change anyway. Um, on the Knicks, though, I'm I'm happy. I'm as I'm as happy with where the Knicks are, given their hires and stuff, as I could be. And my final thought in the last dance would be, um, it do, it is reminiscent of like the recent Golden State Warriors like dynasty, because uh, you know you go to the finals that many years in a row, you play that many extra games, um, and the guys get hobbled at the end. We saw last year. Durant was hurt in the regular season, then came back and got hurt in the finals. And Clay Thompson went down with the knee thing, and we saw it happen twenty years earlier with the Bulls, where you know, Jordan was the most tired he's ever been, and uh, and Pippen had the back thing, and and everyone seemed 
extra banged up, especially the the guys who had been there for all three of those last years and a few of them that were there all for all six. Um, so it just shows it's really, really hard to keep like going back time and time and time again. Yeah. And uh, is this coming out Wednesday? Trying to. Wednesday. If it's coming out Wednesday, so if you're listening to this on Wednesday, I believe they're playing on ESPN tonight, um, game six of that Utah Jazz 98 finals where the Jordan hits the shot over Russell to win, to win the series and then walked off into the sunset. Man, and there's a – I mean, BBD mentioned the LeBron stuff, and I saw ESPN did like a 17-question quiz that was MJ versus LeBron, and MJ won all of them like going away and uh you because bbd i mean you're you know uh you're with a bunch of old mj type fellas but um you know i I mean lebron's there lebron's (laughs) one of you know two and a half people that can share the air with michael uh but it's kind of funny like when when you said the whole you know because mj had the final thumbs up on releasing this stuff and it's like you know what? At the end of the day, isn't that shit so MJ that he had the Caesar's thumb that this wasn't just ESPN doing the documentary and releasing it when they want? Like, no. Like, MJ waited for the right time. He had the final cut. And Michael Jeffrey Jordan, man, he a different breed. Should we go around and say Jordan or LeBron? Or is it just going to be the three of us who are going to say Jordan and then Big Baby David? Say Thomas. Mm. Honestly, if you're going pure statistically, Wilt Chamberlain is the greatest <laughs> of all. Look at his stats. If you're listening to this, go look at Wilt Chamberlain's stats. He averaged 50 and 20 for a season. Ridiculous. Whoa. I mean, I feel like LeBron is better at something. I think he's a better passer than Michael. Sure. And I, I think some people will – disagree with that being like when MJ was a point guard he averaged eight assists I I don't think it's necessarily just the assists per game numbers either like I just think LeBron has next level vision like magic-esque vision and like watch watching them both I think that's more LeBron's priority in his game I think I think it's safe to say LeBron is a better passer I think LeBron is a bigger body and I don't like to use like rebounds per game numbers because the pace is, is different. Like we were watching Bulls games end like 77, 82. Like, how about that jazz finals game? 52, 54. I mean, how many, I mean, that actually Ooh. makes an argument that you should grab more rebounds because the jazz must've missed every shot. But like, <laughs> you know, I don't, I, I think LeBron is just probably a marginally better rebounder than Michael Jordan. So like, yeah, passing out rebounds. Size. But like, I, I think that Jordan was a, a more tenacious defender. And bottom line is, like, all this aside, I just think Jordan had the the ineffable, the thing you can't put your finger on, just the, like, that quality that made him an absolute superstar, just a next-level icon, a, a level of fame that that no one can even really attain today because media and viewership is just so spread out among so many different things. Like, back then – Michael Jordan was the most famous person on the planet, bar none. And it was just like, there was something about his like general essence. And there was something about him that it made it seem like no one else had a chance. I, I, and I do remember it. Like I, I lived in Illinois for five years. I was very young, but it was like during those Jordan years, I moved to Seattle during the, 
during those finals with the, the Seattle versus the Bulls. Uh, I was in second grade, but I, I do remember it. And it's like, there was just a, and then I moved to Indianapolis and it was Indiana, you know, going against Michael for a season during that time. And like the whole time I was just, just like, no one's beating Michael Jordan. And it just, it was beat into my head over and over again. I was never like proven wrong, you know, and it's just like, yeah. I don't know. It, it, it's an intangible thing that you can't quite put your finger yeah. on or explain, but it's just, he was a phenomenon by himself. And, and I don't think just in terms of how he changed the game, where the league was when he first got in versus where it was when he left, what Nike was barely even a company when he started versus when he left on his shoulders. It's just, he was a whole different thing. He was just a whole different phenomenon. And I, and it's not to say that like there won't be better, I don't know. Could there be better basketball players, like technically better basketball players because they have better diets and better physical regimens and all this stuff, maybe, but like more dominant or during their time, like against their peers. I, I don't think so. And I think that's part of it is, and I've, I've said this to Greg before. It's, it's not that he won championships. It's that he won every championship during his prime except for the one year where he came back and like wasn't in shape like so the sick he won every championship at peak condition once he started winning um he was was winning yeah so yeah it's from 27 and from 27 to 34 he won every championship in his prime and it's uh I, i mean just some of the some of the stories that come off of it, whether it is the flu game, which we just debated for a little bit, or dude, that rookie on the, uh, that rookie that got buckets against him in the game of his life, and then MJ just Bradford like, Smith, LeBradford Smith, like MJ just had this seek and destroy that people don't have. I and SVP said it best, and he wrapped up his show with it, which is a little larger than talking next, but leave a review, say thanks for coming on, SVP. Um, SVP said, you know, a lot of people throw around the word unique and don't know what it means. And he goes, unique is one of one. And like, that's MJ. Um, not rare because rare means there's a couple like MJ is his own thing, man. And it, uh, uh, extremely well done ESPN and all the people that did it. Uh, boys, I, I think we, uh, we hit our number. Hell, we ended up in MJ LeBron. We, we are, we are media. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, like we said, I think uh, our kind of how we're going to operate is assuming that the Knicks are done playing basketball, even if they aren't. I mean, it can't be a lot of games. Uh, so I think we're going to start breaking down some of the dude's seasons, um, and we'll be here. Any other Knicks news there is. So whenever the lottery happens, who knows at this point. But uh, for Big Baby David, Kenny Poon, Tom Piccolo, myself, Thank you for listening, and hey, let's go Knicks. Let's take.